description of Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. So if we already have a good shepherd who has conquered death and is at the right hand of God interceding for us, Peter describes him as the chief shepherd who one day is going to appear again. Why do we need human shepherds if we already have a relationship with this good shepherd? And that's a great question. 1 Peter 5, 4 is where that passage is found. When the chief shepherd appears, he's talking about Jesus. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, First of all, it's God's design. This is not something we thought up. You know, Jesus is up in heaven. We're down here on earth. So we've got to have uh, something in between. So we've come up with this idea. No, we have not come up with it. This came from heaven. This is God's idea. And the idea of earthly shepherds, earthly men who help lead us to Christ, uh, they're hands-on and they're visible. And one of the things Peter tells us is that they are to be examples. Now, they never take the place of Jesus. They're not to be Jesus on earth, as some religious systems teach that. Uh, But what they do is that they're in a position where they can help us on a day-to-day basis to see what God wants us to do. Okay, next question. Next question says, God has established an accountability system for shepherds, and what is that? All right, so let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. There are a couple of different ways that I thought about answering this particular question. But the first passage that came to my mind was from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Of course, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the young evangelist Timothy. In verse 17, he tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the, the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Notice especially verse 19, where Paul tells Timothy, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Several things I think we can draw out of that. First of all, we have noticed, I think, just about every week, when we describe men who are serving in this capacity, we're not describing men who are perfect Men who never make mistakes, men who never second-guess judgment calls that were made. But it's very significant, I think, that the Apostle Paul warns Timothy. You want to make sure that you don't accept just any accusation that is thrown out there. Those who serve in positions of leadership will often have to deal with, try and reason with disgruntled people. And I think this is the Apostle's way, really the Holy Spirit's way of reminding Timothy, just because someone throws something out there doesn't mean it ought to be swallowed, hook, line, and sinker. If there are multiple witnesses that would back up, and especially, you notice the language there in verse 20, sin. 
We're not talking about, well, there was a, a fork in the road and some sort of a judgment call needed to be made. Are we going to go to the right or to the left? And, well, the, the shepherds decided to steer us to the right. I really think on this matter of judgment, we should have gone to the left. Therefore, I'm going to raise a ruckus. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sin, right? And those who persist in sin need to be rebuked. Well, re rebuked by whom? In this particular letter, Paul is writing to an evangelist named Timothy. We spent significant time two weeks ago in Acts chapter 20, where Paul warns those elders in Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves. And he warns that fierce wolves would come from among them. And so we've got accountability among them. I would also throw out there maybe one that we might not initially think of. His wife. There's a reason I would suggest that the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3 to say this man needs to be married to a certain kind of woman, a woman who is dignified and not slanderer, not uh, someone who, who's uh, going to participate in, in this backbiting. She's sober-minded and, and faithful in all things. I think when you, you add those three together, okay, uh, an evangelist, fellow shepherds, even his own wife, who knows him better than any other human being, that's, that's the sort of team that's going to keep him, hopefully, with his eyes fixed on Jesus. Yeah, he has to stay true to the scriptures, as everyone else is. But what Timothy's bringing out in, in our time today, we like to trash talk or take cheap shots. Uh, I'm reminded when David was being chased by King Saul, he had multiple occasions to kill Saul, but he wouldn't do it. Now, Saul was not honorable but the position was honorable. And, and I think there's some of that concept behind this. And so if, if, if one of the shepherds is not walking with God, yeah, there's a, there's a mechanism God puts in order how to deal with that. But we, as, as a flock, need to remind ourselves, we just don't throw out cheap talk. You know, the, the old saying that what you're going to have for dinner on Sunday, we're going to have burnt elder and fried preacher. Well... Uh, those days shouldn't be, because that's just, that's just not the way God's people should look at these things. These are servants who are serving on our behalf. Right. We ought to be full of appreciation for that. We frequently use eldership to describe the group of elders. And so how would you describe the relationship of an individual shepherd to the group of shepherds well the individual shepherd or elder wears two hats he is a shepherd but he's also a sheep so when he becomes a shepherd it doesn't mean that i'm no longer a sheep and so as the individual elder or shepherd he like everyone else needs to follow what the eldership decides as a whole so over in the book of uh, hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 just an example of this, Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This applies to everyone, including the shepherds. Now, on his own, 
He doesn't speak on behalf of the shepherds. He is one of all of them. And so he cannot say on his own, well, I have decided since I'm an elder to do this. They speak as a unit, as a team. And together they have to speak together on those things. But he is responsible to them just as all of us are responsible to him. That's how it works. Okay. So next question is... uh, there's not a clear New Testament pattern of how shepherds are appointed. How do we do this? Do we, do we hold up signs like a political convention, you know, <laughs> the state of Indiana and all of its delegates? Now, how do we do that? Let's go back to Titus chapter 1. I think God has a better idea than that. <laughs> Titus chapter 1, Paul this time writing to an evangelist named Titus left on the island of Crete. It was a challenging area. You can see down in verse 12, for instance, that one of the Cretans, one of the people who was from this little island in the Mediterranean, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says this testimony is true. Uh, This this was not a thoroughly wholesome environment, but there were saints. The gospel had come to the island of Crete. People had been reconciled to God on the island of Crete. And so as Paul sends Titus to that area, he says in verse 5 of Titus 1, This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And he launches from there, much the same way he does with Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, to describe this is the sort of man you're looking for. And so here is a pattern that we have of the Holy Spirit leading the apostle to tell an evangelist You need to set in order what remains and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, how was he going to do that? Because this was going to be, of course, a process. And I would suggest if we skim down just a little further to Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, this is how that process was going to come about. As for you, Titus... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He goes on to describe older women, younger women, younger men. He's telling this evangelist, use the scriptures, teach what accords with God's sound body of teaching and over the course of time as the gospel worked on the hearts of these men and women there were going to be some that Titus as he was able to read this letter from the apostle and work with the people there on the island of Crete well that's that's the sort of man I'm looking for now to To the specific wording of this question, we don't have an example historically of him doing that. And so I would suggest the the most straightforward, humble, reverent way of doing that is presenting that man before the congregation, praying to God, leading the congregation in prayer 
for that man recognizing that this is what we've been looking for in accordance with this pattern and from that point entrusting ourselves to the leadership of of such a man it should be a special day and, and, and i think when you look at the history of a congregation the days you appoint more shepherds ought to be one of the highlights of that history. That's a good thing. You have men who are stepping up. You have men who are seem to be accountable, men who are growing spiritually, and that's just a good thing. And, you know, we, we should rejoice when that happens because they are coming about to do what God wants us to do. Paul told Timothy, entrust what you've heard to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a ball that needs to continue rolling, as you said, throughout the history of God's people in a given place. All right, so with that in mind, what steps can an individual take to develop the heart and the qualities that Paul in Titus and in 1 Timothy describes. Absolutely. Look, look in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We kind of just run over that pretty quickly. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, as we begin the qualities of an overseer or bishop, it says, It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. First of all, there, there's two concepts come out of there. The second part of this is it's a work. It is a work. And, and you need to be honest with this. This is a word. This is not a position. This is not something where I get to sign the checks or I get to control the people. That's totally the wrong biblical concept. Is working with the sheep. That's what that is. But then the first concept is a man aspires. Why in the world would somebody want to do this? Because it's been taught the biblical way. This is a good thing to do. We should all lead our families. We should all lead other people to Jesus. We should all be willing to grow and help other people get to heaven. This is a people kind of job. And it's a job where it, it, it's something that should be looked forward to. So how, how we get this across to our minds and our thoughts. We have a lot of young men in this congregation. I hope someday the time is right. You'll say, here am I. Send me. Let me do that. And you, and you do that by studying the scriptures. You do that by having the congregation preach and teach these things like we've done this month. But you do this by, by getting engaged in the congregation. You, you don't have to have a title to do something here. You don't have to say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a deacon. I'm not an elder. So I don't do anything. There's a lot of things to be done. And you start finding your niche. And you start serving. And you start helping. And you start putting that mirror down. And you start looking at other people. And he realized it's not all about me. It's about all of us. And here am I. Can I help you? And that's what you start doing. And that starts getting the shepherding concept, the heart of a servant, compassion, as God so much wants us to have. Spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ, even from a young age, right? We are all encouraged to participate in hospitality, for instance. Right. And that bubbles up in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, as something this man, and again, I would, I would include his wife, ought to be known for, right? This is people work, spending time with people. So that, that's one aspect of this question. What about the church? How can we help in this sort of development? Well, one thing is to have a positive attitude about this. Um, I've been in a lot of places where it's, it's 
just, just a negative spirit about the leadership. It's not that way here. And, 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 and to see this is a good thing and to encourage them. We have coming up in just the less than two weeks a, a big leadership workshop we're going to do on Saturday morning. And we want every male member to come. And you may never be, ever be an elder. Say, so, you know what? It's not, an, it's not my wheelhouse. I'm too old. I'm too young. I, I'll never be an elder. You are a leader. All of us are leaders. Let your light shine. That's leadership. And so we're going to talk about the principles of leadership. That's one way we do this as a congregation, putting these ideas out there and helping us, giving us opportunities to serve and to engage in helping other people. That's, that's I think, a lot of ways in which the church can do that. Very good. Okay, I lost track. Where are we at, number six? Number six. Okay, number six. If a church does not have shepherds, what are they to do? If you lost track, you want to answer this? Sure. No. <laughs> I'll answer this one if you answer the next one. <laughs> we know just before you were in 1 Timothy 3, just before this, Paul spends some time in what we have as 1 Timothy 2, <clears throat> talking about men and women. And there is no doubt, as you read, especially the writings of Paul, but I, I would argue the, the larger scripture as a whole, there is a principle there of male spiritual leadership. Uh, and it is not rooted, we, we explored just a little a couple of weeks ago, it, it is not rooted in a particular era or geographical location or culture. And the way that we know that is, for instance, in 1 Timothy 2, Verse 13, Paul roots what he is saying about men and women and the way they are to serve God in their respective God-given roles. He roots it in creation. This supersedes any sort of cultural barriers or time frame or spot on the globe or anything like that. From the very beginning, there has been a principle. We see it. Even in Genesis 3, if God comes and he's knocking on the door, he interacts first with Eve, and in a very real sense, he says, okay, where's Adam? That there was supposed to be something that happened here in the garden that didn't happen, and we hear how God feels about that in, in Genesis chapter 3. In the absence of elders, what is a, a congregation to do? Well, in, in many respects, it is time to really get to work. We, we heard Paul in Titus chapter 1 saying, listen, in the absence of shepherds, not everything that needs to be put in order has been put in order. There is a deficiency here there is danger here and for a group of saints to go year after year decade after decade as you have seen as i have seen in other places that is not good it, it, we're not talking about well good better best or you know less than ideal it is something out of order something that is is not fully established. And so if you go with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I would just throw out a, a couple of things here. Those men, I would suggest, are going to have to work together in moving the work forward. The entire congregation can't just look at each other and wait 
for, for something to happen, something to, to fall out of the heavens. But Paul teaches us in a variety of places how we ought to conduct ourselves. And especially in, in this sort of a scenario, passages like 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 are so relevant. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. How does that happen? Well... We unite around the scriptures. We unite around this is our mission. This is our Lord. This is our why. And then we're going to make sure that we unite around that. That's going to involve communication. right? That's going to involve getting together and, okay, we've got a God-given mission. How are we going to realize this mission how are we going to conduct ourselves and this work here where there there isn't any sort of division and one more passage i would throw in here philippians chapter 2 speaks to the sort of mindset that those men are going to need to have really all of us whomever we are philippians chapter 2 verse 3 warns us do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is not an opportunity to be taken advantage of because I'm puffed up with conceit or selfish ambition. No, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's a challenge in the absence of shepherds. But when that happens in the life of various congregations it is time for men to step up it is time for the entire congregation to go in to this watching out for each other sort of mode and we need to spend a lot of time praying a lot of time talking with men perhaps who just need to step up or develop into this servant leadership sort of role. There's a lot of things that fall through the cracks that should not. There's okay. a lot of people that drop off that should not be dropped off. And the reason is you don't have the shepherds. Jesus would say in Matthew 9, 36, seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And that's, that's a condition of congregations. Now, it, you know, you, you got to get to where God wants you to be, but uh, being content to stay that way for decades after decades after decades. Not good. Not good. Not healthy. Not good. All right. Let's look <clears throat> internally for a moment. And this is certainly not the sort of question maybe that would be addressed in a sermon, but I think a, a good question. How would you describe our shepherds as different from each other? And is that a good thing? And somehow you were supposed to get that question, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It worked, out, it worked out wrong. So we currently have five shepherds. Bill Densford. Bill Densford is probably our senior shepherd. Bill comes with a lot, a lot of knowledge. Bill is quiet but he's very thoughtful. 
Bill brings about some things on the table when we're talking that sometimes we just get in a hurry and forget about. Bill's very insightful, and uh, he was one of the shepherds that was on board when I first came here, and he was somebody that really impressed me with, with his knowledge, his love for you, and his desire just to keep things going toward heaven. And it's just, we are honored to have Bill with us, no question. Larry, Larry Beckham is also one of the shepherds when I first came here. And, and uh, Larry's a little spitball fire, you know, and I, I like that about him. And he has a lot of energy. He has a lot of knowledge. He has a lot of uh, uh, bringing HR, which he is an HR person, I don't know what you call that, representative or agent, I don't know what you are, HR it was what he works in, and he brings that people business to us, and that's very insightful, very helpful for us. Um, two of our shepherds are out of town right now, Jim Wagner and Jimmy Polk. Jim is another one that's just kind of quiet, but again, very, very insightful, knows the scriptures upwards and downwards. And Jim puts a lot to the table, too, as we come together. And we talk about the direction this church is going. We talk about what kind of classes we need. We talk about, should we have this person come and speak to us? Jim is very good at those kind, kind of concepts. Uh, Jimmy Polk, he's coming back home today. He's been overseas in business. And Jimmy is young. And Jimmy has a lot of energy. And Jimmy brings a lot of concepts that... He sees out there in the world that helps us understand how we need to be as people, how we need to connect with people. And I just love what Jimmy does with all of that. I am one of the fifth shepherds as well, and I'm just who I am, so I'm not going to talk about that. So. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll pipe in. Okay. I, I think those are all very, very good descriptions. Um, I would describe you as, first of all... Be careful. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking carefully here. You want me to write it out for you? No. Um, a very hard worker. Um, I have a front row seat to that uh, just about every day. And um, I, I'm not sure people realize how hard of a worker you are. Um, like me, it is hard for you to turn your mind off. When you leave this building or go out of town, you are always thinking. But what I appreciate about that is not just in terms of projects or paperwork, but you're always thinking about people. And that is invaluable in this people work. The other thing I, I would say you you bring to this dynamic is this balance of you have deep respect for history and the sound doctrine that we were talking about but you're always thinking about okay what's what's next what's the next evolution in how this ancient timeless work can be done how can we use the tools that we have today to teach the timeless message? Now, let me go back to that also. And uh, among the five shepherds here, okay, Larry grew up, as we say, in the church or in this fellowship. I grew up in this. But we have Jimmy and Jim. I forget about you, Bill. I forget your story on that one. 
but, but, but they've come from the outside. And that's important to know. Because not everyone we're going to be talking to grew up with this. Some came in from the outside. And it's real easy to say, well, you don't understand. Well, we have that among us. And among us, we, we, we bring to me on the table, we have a lot of, lot of energy, a lot of ideas, but we all come to this one central unit of what's best for Charlestown Road and what's best for Jesus. And that's, that's really where it, it ends every time. The diversity is good. And our different experiences. Uh, I, I meant to do this and I forgot to do this. I was going to call each of us and find out how many years we've been Christians. But it's, it's well into the hundred. How many years all of us have been a Christian combined. Several have been elders for a long, long time. And so they have seen things. And they have heard things. And they've been down the road before. And that helps us. Helps us as a unit. And I think, I think it's just a great, great, wonderful thing we have here. So, next question, is there a limit to how long one serves as a shepherd? U.S. president's two terms and you're done. So, what about this in this area? We don't have any scriptural instruction along these lines. And so, this is in some ways a, a very easy question to answer. The only thing that I would really encourage us always to remember, shepherds, those who are being led... This is not an honorary position. This is not, well, you've served as a, a, a Christian in the kingdom for X number of years. Therefore, we're going to establish this honorary but largely empty title on you. That's, that's not it. This is work. And so is he able to do the work? Does he still aspire to do the work is he still able to bring the heart of jesus to this work does he still love these people and that serve as fuel for him to do this work as long as he is within those qualities we've talked about in first timothy 3 titus chapter 1 as long as he is able to do this work then god's people are blessed to have him serve in that capacity. And sometimes that gray hair, that older person, long as he's functional, long as he's still able to do it, brings a wealth of Bible knowledge, a wealth of experience. And that's helpful for a church. It really is. He is perhaps not able to do what he once did in other capacities. But as we've tried to emphasize throughout this series, he is a part of a team, right? The entire weight of the work does not rest simply on his shoulders. He's a part of the team, and those years of experience, perhaps the gray hairs and the wrinkles that go along with it, are invaluable to what he brings to that whole thing. And you always look at me when you say those words. I was looking at you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All, right, All right, last question. If I know I could use some help or encouragement, how can I get that conversation started with our shepherds? Because despite everything we've talked about, despite classes, sermons, conversations, sometimes there are saints who feel like, well, this is like having to go to the principal's office right. or something like that. Right. How how can I get that conversation started if they don't know that 
I could really use some help right, right. now. Right, and, and, and first of all, the shepherds are not mind readers. They can't say, ah, I know what's going through. They don't know unless you are presenting a bridge for them to cross and have this conversation. They're on your side. They want to help you. When you do well spiritually, it helps all of us. When you're walking with Jesus, it helps all of us. When you're letting your light shine, it helps all of us. So the greatest thing they want is for you to do well spiritually. And so, so the way you do this is by just getting to know them personally. And I've named all five of them. And there might be one that you feel closer with than others. But go to all of them and get to know them. They have gotten in this position because this congregation recognized them as having certain qualities. Again, back in 1 Timothy 3, notice three times in these list of qualities, he uses the word must. He says right away in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, a husband, one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well. Verse 7, he must have a good reputation with the community or those outside. So, so there's certain things he has, and maybe I don't, and I need to grow there. And I'm looking at these people not as superheroes, but maybe they got something that can help me. And that's the way we need to be. We're not, we're not here to be the principals. We're not here to hold our radar gun and say, oh, I saw what you put on Facebook. You're in trouble now. Come see us afterwards. That's not what we're after. We're after to make you the best you can be. We're trying to get you close to Jesus and do all those things. And so one of the things you can do is get to know them. Uh, you got some time once in a while, just say, hey, let's go do lunch. Uh, let's get, come over to our home and, and let's sit down. Let's talk about some things. How did you get to be that position? How is it you're strong spiritually? And talk to them about that. One of the major mistakes I've made in my life as a teenager, and I'm going to say this to our young people. I grew up in a congregation that had a whole bunch of elders, and I could only name two of them by name. I couldn't even know the name the rest of them. Never, ever, 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 never once did I sit down and talk to one of them. Never. And I regret that today. I think, you know, as a young person, they probably could have helped me from making some of the mistakes I made. As a young person, they probably could have put me on the path that would have got me going a lot faster where I am today. And so even as a young person, don't be hesitant to say, hey, Mr. Larry, Mr. Bill, Mr. Jim, Mr. Jimmy, can we go out and just, can we just talk after services? And I guarantee you, 100%, they'll say yes. They will not be put out. They will not be frustrated. You will not be a, an inconvenience. Not, not at all. And, and so many times we, I hear conversations begin, I hate to bother you. You should bother us, okay? We're more bothered when you don't bother us. So, so how you can tap into them is just by reaching out, reaching out. And the more you do that, the more comfortable you are with your shepherds, the more you'll rely on them, the more you'll use them, and it's just a win-win situation. All right. If you'll open your Bibles with me back to Acts chapter 5, where we will read in just a few moments. There is no doubt in my mind that some, even within the context of our church family, have kind of scratched their heads and thought, okay, it's been a month. Really, we're going to devote an entire month to talking about leadership in the Lord's church. Could I just, in three or four minutes, 
tell you why I think this matters so much. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. And there was a time in Nashville, Tennessee, when if you were to ask about a church in Nashville, Tennessee, at the very top of just about everybody's minds would have been the Riverside Drive Church of Christ on the east side of Nashville. This is where I grew up, not with these people. This picture was taken back in 1940. Oh, I'm sorry. We moved a little. Ah, okay. No, we, we, maybe, it, maybe it got overwritten up there. I'm sorry about that. I had it up there and maybe not. You'll have to use your imagination here. I had a picture, and maybe these guys can recover it. It's labeled Riverside up there, I believe. That picture was taken back in 1940. That, that church was established in 1938. And it grew and it grew and it grew on the east side of Nashville. Did a whole lot of good for a whole lot of years. If you want to hear stories about that, Roger can tell you just as many stories about that as I can. There is that picture taken in 1940. You look at all of those people. And in 2014, that church ceased to exist. It was there meeting, serving on the east side of Nashville for 76 years. I hate to make you guys scramble, but I had one other picture up there as well. There was a time when in northeast Ohio, where Shelley and I lived for about 10 years, that if you asked about a church in that entire area, the, the, the name of a church that would just immediately come to everybody's mind was Thayer Street, the Thayer Street Church of Christ. I still, to this day, meet people all over the country who traveled to Northeast Ohio to attend lectureships that were held annually there. That picture was taken on May 26, 1929. That church was established in the 19-teens. And in 2020, that church ceased to exist. It met there. It was a, a beacon, a, a source of encouragement for a hundred years in downtown Akron. But that church isn't there anymore. And as I was thinking about the best way to wrap this little month-long series up, I got to thinking about these two churches. One where I grew up that was there for 75 years. Uh, one that we were privileged to work with for about five years. But churches that aren't even there anymore. And then I got thinking about this church that, as best I can tell from talking to various ones of you, has been in this area, not in this building, but in this area for about 75 years. About the same amount of time as Riverside Drive in Nashville. 
And I would just really, really, really encourage you to think about the fact that if this church is going to continue to serve in this community in the way that I, I believe with all of my heart, and so many of you do, we, we can. It's going to hinge on a couple of things, and one of those things right there at the top of the list is leadership. This is a baton that has to be handed from generation to generation to generation. And one of the reasons, I can tell you, I, I believe with a very clean conscience that those two historic churches aren't there anymore, is that baton started to be dropped here and there. And it wasn't handed off, and there weren't successive generations who took what we have been talking about over the course of the last month maybe as seriously as they should have. I realize when you're 16 years old, this is not the most captivating thing to think about for an entire month. But young people, young men and women, the choices you are making right now will impact whether or not this church continues 10 20, 30, 40, 50 years into the future, or whether or not an old-looking picture gets thrown up in some assembly decades from now, and the work that is being done here is just a, a historical footnote. Either way, the Lord's kingdom is going to continue. The Lord's kingdom is going to stand it will stand until our king returns. But we want to be a vibrant light in this community for generations to come. And a lot of that hinges on leadership. We're going to stand and sing an invitation song in just a moment, but as we do, I, I want to read to you just one verse from Acts chapter 5. It was our, our daily Bible reading chapter just a couple of days ago where the Apostle Peter is standing with the other apostles in front of Jewish authorities who are trying to get them to stop talking so much about Jesus. And I want you to notice in Acts 5.31 how Peter describes Jesus, how God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. There are a lot of people who are captivated by the idea of leadership, but they don't believe they need a Savior. Jesus is leader and Savior. There are lots of people who would love for God to save them, but they don't want to follow his lead afterwards. Jesus is leader and Savior. And what is being proclaimed throughout the book of Acts is Jesus can save you from your past sins, but that's only part of this equation. The good news is he doesn't save you from your sins and then set you on your way. He saves you from your sins and then says, Follow me. Follow me all the way home. He is leader and Savior.
And if you know you need His salvation this evening, and you're willing to confess your belief that He is the Son of God, if you're willing to turn your back on sin and follow His lead all the way home, and this is the turning point for you, if we can be of any help, any encouragement this evening, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?